Hello, and welcome to another Bible study. My name is Matthew Johnson. I'm the lead pastor here at the Tree Church, and uh, we are just always honored that you all are continuing to join with us in the Bible studies. Uh, as a pastor, I'm thankful that people are engaging God's Word in a way where they desire to understand it so that they can apply it to their life. And we really do have the conviction that the Word of God changes things, that when we study it, when we understand it, when we believe it, and when we apply it to our lives, that His Word changes things. We are designed by God to live a certain way, and when we do, we experience a full life that He offers, and a big part of experiencing that life is studying His Word. So I'm thankful that these Bible studies are a blessing to you. Uh, we get a lot of positive feedback from them, so it encourages us, and uh, so we're excited that we get to be a part of your faith journey. So today, we're going to continue in our study of the book of Deuteronomy. Uh, we're going to be looking at Deuteronomy chapter 9, and uh, I have verses 7 through 21 to look at today. And, and on the surface, this looks like somewhat of just kind of a, a narrative in a way. This is basically 14 verses of Moses reminding the people of Israel of one of their biggest mistakes and failures and, and acts of rebellion uh, in their history. Uh, he is reminding them of their biggest mistake from the moment they left uh, captivity where God set them free. So I want to be clear, this wasn't their first bad moment. It was the worst of the bad moments up until this point. Uh, they're going to have some bigger moments later on, but this was a very dramatic moment. But what we'll see when we go a little bit deeper into this is there's some truths that are clearly communicated through this. And there are truths that I want to pull out, uh, basically like I would in a normal Sunday sermon, I pull out these truths so that we can understand and grow from it. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read the verses uh, and then just kind of stop. And as I see these truths, I'm going to pull them out. So I'm going to give you one just to give context. I'm actually going to look at a verse that I'm not assigned to study today, but it gives context to our study. I'm going to just point out a, a truth of that. And then, like I said, we'll go through the verses and I have four things I want to highlight today. So we're going to begin in verse 6. Uh, so I'm assigned verses 7 through 21, but I want to begin in verse 6. The book of Deuteronomy is Moses, his summary of what God taught him in the 40 years in the wilderness. So it is uh, one part of he's looking back, uh, then another part as he speaks, it's just reminding them of this critical moment in their history. But he says this in verse 6, he says, Know therefore that the Lord your God is not giving you this good land to possess because of your righteousness— for you are a stubborn people. So they're about to go into the promised land. And Moses is saying, now remember, God's not giving you this land because you did something right or did something correct. He's not giving this because you are righteous or your righteousness. He says, because honestly, just the opposite. You're a stubborn people that you've had moments of failure over and over again. And then Moses is going to go on and explain one of their biggest failures. Now, honestly, if someone were to do this in a relationship, it could very easily feel somewhat mean-spirited. Uh, I know for me, I do not in any capacity enjoy having my previous mistakes of my life thrown in my face. Uh, I always find that disheartening. Uh, it's always sad to me. It can be frustrating if it's done by someone in an argument. Because I, I think probably like everyone else, want to move on from our past mistakes. Like we learn and let's move on. Let's give grace. Moses was not bringing this up so that they would feel bad. He's not bringing this up to say that God has not forgiven you. It's just the opposite. 
verse six is the context of for for verses seven through twenty one. So it's a context of grace. He's saying now understand this. God's about to give you the promised land, this land of prosperity and blessing that on the surface you did not deserve. And he's going to say, let me remind you, this is these are the things you did that disqualified you. But when you understand that you are disqualified and yet still receive this gift, what it points to is the graciousness of our God, that he is full of mercy, full of grace, full of love. And that's why Moses is explaining this, so that the people would have the proper context God is a God of grace. And so now he's going to explain what was their worst moment, what was up until this point. In verses 7 through 12, that's what I'll begin reading. He says, Remember, and do not forget how you provoked the Lord your God to wrath in the wilderness. From the day you came out of the land of Egypt until you came to this place, you have been rebellious against the Lord. Even at Horeb, you provoked the Lord to wrath, and the Lord was so angry with you that he was ready to destroy you. When I went up the mountain to receive the tablets of stone, the tablets of the covenant that the Lord made with you, I remained on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. I neither ate bread nor drank water. And the Lord gave me the two tablets of stone written with the finger of God, and on them were all the words that the Lord had spoken with you on the mountain out of the midst of the fire on the day of the assembly. And at the end of 40 days and 40 nights, the Lord gave me the two tablets of stone, the tablets of the covenant. So what, what Moses says in the beginning, he says, Remember and do not forget how you provoked the Lord your God to wrath in the wilderness from the day you came out of the land until you came to this place. So he says, basically, for 40 years, you have provoked God. For 40 years, you have gone into rebellion. But the specific account he's about to give them and explain and remind them about was when they went to the mountain where God was giving them the commandments, where God spoke to them. God spoke to them as an introduction and then called Moses up. Moses went up. He gave him all the law, all the covenant, wrote it on, on stone tablets. And then when Moses came down, he found the people in worship of golden calves, but prior to this, they had already had at least three different moments where they had rebelled against God. They had one time when God led them to the Red Sea, and they turned around, and in the distance they saw the Egyptian army who had changed their mind now marching toward them, and the people grumbled against God. They said, what, was there not enough graves in Egypt? Oh, that we might go there. Like, we wish that we still were under slavery. At least we'd be alive there was another time where they were thirsty and, and they grumbled against God and they, they longed for slavery again. They literally wanted to go back to slavery and said things like, well, at least we had water there. There was another time they were hungry and they said, well, in slavery, we had big pots of food. We were never hungry in slavery. I mean, it's really bizarre when you think about it. But here's the first truth I want us to understand today. We will naturally run toward what is familiar and comfortable even when it's sin. They were longing for captivity because in their mind, slavery and the perks of slavery was better than this season of trusting God. Did they have to trust God when they got to the Red Sea? Absolutely. I mean, think about it in the physical. On one side, this huge body of water that if you tried to cross, you, it guarantees certain death for almost all of them because it's a big body of water. So on one side is water, on the other side is this army 
that is a superior army marching uh, against them with chariots and superior weaponry and strategy and experience. So they are surrounded. They are not literally between a rock and a hard place, but figuratively between a body of water and an army. So in the physical, it didn't make sense. And so when it didn't make sense in the physical, they longed for slavery. When they got to a place and there's probably multiple millions of them and they didn't have food, well, in the physical, it just looks like, okay, we're going to starve. There's no way you feed the multitudes like that. And yet God would do a miracle, but they longed for what was familiar. They longed for what was comfortable. When they were thirsty, the same thing. And yet in each one of these cases, God was able to do a miracle and provide for them. He parted the Red Sea, dried the land, allowed them to go across while he stopped the army. Then he allowed the army to come after them, and he destroyed them in the water. God removed their biggest threat. When they were hungry, he brought food to them. When they were thirsty, he brought water to them in supernatural fashion. But we need to understand, when we are walking out of sin, when we are walking out of captivity that comes from sin, a repetitive behavior in our life, and we're learning new things, there will be a season where it's difficult and it requires faith. There will be a season where we, we look at it and go, okay, this doesn't make sense to me right now. This is really difficult right now. There will be a part of us that longs to go back into sin the way things were. There's a part of us that will even long for idolatry and the captivity of sin. But we have to pause and understand that God is the God who sets us free not to enslave us again. He sets us free so that in faith we'll trust him so that he can bring deliverance. And so Moses is reminding them, remember in this moment you tested God, you challenged God. He he wants them to understand, but God is still merciful. So then going on to verse 13, we continue. And I love Moses, his response to them. So I'm going to read verses 12 and 13. It says, Then the Lord said to me, Arise, go down quickly from here, for your people whom you have brought from Egypt have acted corruptly. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made themselves a metal image. A couple of quick things I want to point out that I'm going to keep reading is God says to Moses, so he, he, in his introduction to the people, you can read this in Exodus chapter 20, God introduces himself, I'm the Lord, your God, the one who brought you out of Egypt, out of slavery. And then he gives them commands. Well, the first command he gives them is, don't have any other gods before me. His introduction to them is, I'm the one who set you free, don't have other gods before me. He calls Moses up to the mountain. What is the first thing the people do? They disobey that command. They make a golden image. They take off all the gold that God provided for them. If you remember the story, that they were in Egypt, and when God sent the ten plagues, the people, the Egyptians were terrified of them. So God said to Moses, tell the Israelites to ask of the Egyptians anything that they want, and they'll give it to them. So they asked for, for wealth, and they gave it to them. So they left Egypt plundering the Egyptians. Again, another miracle of God. But the blessing of God, the earrings, the bracelets, the, the gold, the blessing of God became an idol. That same thing can happen in our lives. But that's not the second truth I want to give you. That's just a side note. But they took that gold, they formed it into the shape of calves, and they worshiped it. Why did they do that? Because that was what was familiar to them. Again, going back to point one, we run toward what is familiar. We run, to, run toward what's comfortable. That's what they witnessed in Egypt. That's what they naturally did. But in this sin, God is about to destroy them. And yet we see Moses take a posture that I love. 
Moses has a, a really does have a pastor's heart toward them. He has the Savior's heart toward them. Moses loves them and says this in verse 13, Furthermore, the Lord said to me, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stubborn people. Let me alone that I may destroy them and blot out their name from under heaven, and I will make of you a nation mightier and greater than they. So God was not displeased with Moses. He's like, no, Moses, I'll, I'll make you a nation, and God could do it. He said, I'm going to destroy this group because they're just constantly rebellious. So Moses says this, So I turned and came down from the mountain, and the mountain was burning with fire, and the two tablets of the covenant were in my two hands. And I looked, and behold, you had sinned against the Lord your God. You had made for yourselves a golden calf, and you had turned aside quickly from the way that the Lord had commanded you. So I took hold of the two tablets and threw them out of my hands and broke them before your eyes. Then I lay prostrate before the Lord as before, forty days and forty nights. I neither ate bread nor drank water because of all the sin that you had committed in doing what was evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. So Moses, in response to their sin, in response to God's declaration that he was going to destroy them, Moses, though frustrated, and justifiably so. I mean, he throws the tablets. He's ticked. I mean, can you imagine being from his perspective? He's like, you have to be kidding me. After all God has done. So, he, I mean, think about it from Moses' perspective. Moses saw God do the 10 plagues in miraculous fashion to deliver them out of Egypt. They plundered the Egyptians. God parted the Red Sea and destroyed the army that was following them. God provided every single day for them food, manna from heaven, quail at night, provided supernaturally water for them. God showed up and introduced himself at the very moment of their worship of these false gods. God's presence is on top of the mountain. The mountain's on fire. There's smoke. There's trembling because of his presence is there. And Moses is like, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> Your response to all of that is to create this false idol and worship it because it's comfortable to you and familiar to you. But you know what? He doesn't allow his frustration and anger to stop his calling and here's the second truth that I love. Moses fought for his people. He laid down prostrate before God, and he prayed. The, the reason why I say that, I think for any of us that, that have people that, that we're, we're a part of their discipleship process, it can be very easy to get frustrated with them, especially when, to use a kind of a church term here, when they're baby Christians, when they're new in the faith, and you think, like, you know better but you know what? The same thing happens of Christians who are, are mature in their faith. They make choices, and they make mistakes, and they, they purposefully make decisions where you're like, you know better. And, and there's that moment where we get frustrated, and we're like, I can't believe that you would do such a thing. But we also need to have the same heart that Moses did, that we go, you know what? Yeah, let's, let's just be real. I'm frustrated, but I'm going to fight for you. I'm going to get down on my knees, on my face. I'm going to lay prostrate before God and I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray for God's mercy, for God's redemption, that God would change your mind and heart, but I'm going to fight for you. And I love that heart because it's so easy to grow angry and frustrated, but instead of growing that way, let's just make it a purpose decision in our mind. We're going to fight for the people God has brought into our life. So if you're frustrated with your spouse, let's fight for them. Let's get on our faces and pray for them. Your children are driving you nuts. Let's pray for them. Your, your brothers, your sisters, your parents, your friends, let's pray for them. 
Let's not take a posture of anger. Let's not give up on them. Let's pray for them. So how does God respond to Moses' prayer for 19 and 20? He says, For I was afraid of the anger and hot displeasure that the Lord bore against you, so that he was ready to destroy you. But the Lord listened to me that time also. I love that. So I was afraid because God was mad he was going to destroy you. But God listened to me that time also. God listened to my prayers. Going on in verse 20, And the Lord was so angry with Aaron. Aaron was another leader, his brother, but he was a leader. He knew better. But he was a part of making the golden calf. He, he fell into the pressure of the people. And he says, And the Lord was so angry with Aaron that he was ready to destroy him. And I prayed for Aaron also at the same time. And what he's saying is God is merciful. That's the third truth. So the first truth today, we run toward what is familiar and comfortable, even idolatry. The second truth is Moses fought for his people. Here's the third truth. God is merciful. God is merciful. Friends, hear me. God is always one step away. That's something I, I often teach our church. You can take a thousand steps away from God. He's one step away. He, he's following you. He's present with you. He's desiring for you to repent. Um, this is illogical to us because in personal relationships, the more someone sins against us, the less we actually want to be in a relationship with them. So the more someone hurts us and lies and does whatever that is damaging to us, at some point we don't want to show them mercy. At some point we want them to go away. It's just too much. And yet with God, his desire for us to come back to him never changes. God wants his people to repent because God is a God of mercy. It is his nature. It's who he is. It is his perfect character and perfect nature. He wants to give grace. He is bent that way. It brings him pleasure to give us grace. Again, illogical to us from a broken earthly perspective because we're broken by sin, but God gets glory when he gives us mercy. That's the reputation that he wants. He's okay to be called a friend of sinners. He's okay to be called the redeemer of the broken. This is the glory that he desires. God is merciful. If you are sinning and you are convicted right now, run to God for mercy. He's going to lead you to obedience. He's going to convict you. He's going to challenge you. He's not okay with your sin, but he is okay to give you mercy. He's okay to give you grace. He's okay to change you. And so God is merciful. Run to God. And then here's the last verse, and I'll give you the last truth. Moses says, Then I took the sinful thing, the calf that you made, and burned it with fire and crushed it, grinding it very small until it was fine as dust, and I threw the dust of it into the brook that ran down from the mountain. So I want to pause for a second. He crushes it, throws it in the water. So this is Moses recapping the story. Moses left out a big part of this story. If you read about it in Exodus, here's actually what took place. Moses took the golden calf, and he did everything he said. He burned it, he crushed it, he grinded it, threw it in the water. But what he left out is he then made the people of Israel drink the water. <laughs> uh, my laughter might, might worry you because you think, Matthew, what's so funny about that? You know why it makes me laugh? Because I, I can sympathize with Moses. That, that dude was a phenomenal leader. Uh, he had such compassion for the people. But I just picture him in a moment of just absolute frustration. He's like, oh, yeah, <laughs> you want this golden calf? You want to worship it? Destroys it and is like, drink it. You know, make it go into your belly. I mean, he was just so frustrated. But here's the, here's the final truth, and I love what Moses did. He took the idol, and instead of just keeping it 
and say, well, it's gold, it's of value, so let's maybe melt that down. He goes, no, you know what? It's of no value to us. Here's the fourth truth. There's only one way to handle idolatry. Destroy the idols. Destroy the idols. It's the only way. When you realize in your life that there's something that is pulling your attention and worship away from God, when you realize there's something or someone that is causing you to sin, the only proper way to respond to that is to destroy that. Destroy that idol. In that relationship, if you need to, quit that job, quit going to that place, change your group of friends, whatever it might be, to remove it because anything that tempts you or controls you and pulls you away from God, the proper response is to recognize your relationship with God is the most important thing in your life, this side of eternity and next side of eternity. So have a passion to protect your heart. Have a passion to to worship God, to obey Him, to give Him the glory and respect that He's due. And, and when you have that, you will be aggressive in destroying the idols of your life. All right, real quick, four points. We often run toward what is familiar and comfortable, even idolatry. We need to fight for our friends the same way that Moses fought for his people. Remember that God is merciful, and there's only one way to handle idolatry. Destroy the idols. I pray this was a blessing to you today. I love you guys, and I hope to see you Sunday. God bless.